Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, I know the talk of the world just a week ago uh, was a football game that was being played. And there was something that happened in the football game that was being played last week that many of you, even if you're not a football player, may have seen a clip of something that happened and there was a lot of talk about it. But just in case you didn't see it, I wanted to show you a quick clip of something that happened last week. How many of you guys are familiar with what is happening there in that? Andy Reid is the guy that looks like he's not a football player, and uh, he's the head coach. The other guy is Taylor Swift's boyfriend, and uh, everybody's talking about that. But what you see happening there is you see one of the star players that is expressing some emotions to his head coach in a rather bombastic way. How many of you guys have an opinion on what you just witnessed in regards to what should or should not have happened in that situation? Anyone have an opinion on that? How many of you guys read someone else's opinion on that or talked about it maybe over the last week? You know, there's a lot of different things that we could say uh, about it. I think everyone here probably has some kind of hot take on what we think should have happened. But no matter what opinion we may have, I think we can all agree that there was an emotion present that, was, that caused the behavior that was observed. Uh, it's an emotion that all of us deal with at some point or another, and some of us deal with it a little bit more frequently. Does anyone know what emotion that is? Anger. Yeah, very good, class. You guys are already there. Right? You know where we're going with this in Ephesians chapter 4. When was the last time that you had to deal with anger? Could you imagine if after a service you saw Pastor Andrew or Mark coming up to me like that? You'd, it'd be two hits, me hitting them and them hitting the floor. All right? No. <laughs> no. No, but when was the last time that you dealt with, with anger? Maybe it was uh, in traffic. No hands, please, all right? Uh, maybe it was at home, at school, watching the news, family holiday. Like, when was the last time that you really had to deal with anger? Here's the thing. If you don't remember it, those that were around you probably do. And that is because, like one person said, anger is a feeling that makes your mouth work faster than your mind. I think we could all agree with that, right? Anger leads us to do incredibly foolish things. We say things that we don't mean, and we do things that we regret. And oftentimes, our greatest regrets can be traced back to a time where we responded in anger. Another person said, if you speak when you're angry, you'll give the best speech that you'll ever regret. I wish that I could tell you that today I was going to give you five steps uh, that, would, uh, that you can take that if you'll follow these five steps, then you'll never deal with anger again. But there's a, there's a reason I'm not going to do that. That is because we live in a world that is populated with people. And when you have people, you have problems. We say that all the time around here because it's so true. The good news, though, is that God knew we were going to deal with people. And he knew that not only were they going to have problems, but we were going to have problems. And he gave us some guidelines on how to deal with those problems whenever this emotion of anger begins to rise up inside of us. 
We've been walking through Ephesians 4 just verse by verse, and we've been calling this series uh, Made New. Uh, and we're talking about how if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away, and all things have become new, right? So today we're going to see how God makes us new. We've looked at a lot of different ways in, in, in how he makes us new after we become believers. Uh, but today we're going to see very specifically how God makes us new by dealing with anger in God's way, the way that God wants us to deal with anger. As we've seen over the last several weeks, there's an underlying theme throughout all of Ephesians 4, and that is that we are made new in community. Very seldom are we going to see us being made new uh, in isolation. We need one another, right? We saw earlier that uh, when we come together, God has given us gifts so that we can edify others and we can minister to others. The problem with that is when you have community, when you're doing life in community, community gets messy, right? How many of you guys have been a part of a church for more than five minutes, right? Churches can get messy. How many of you guys have lived in a neighborhood for more than a couple of days? Communities, like neighborhoods, can get messy. If you've worked the job for more than five minutes, you can see there's drama in that place because community gets messy. You're going to be let down. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be angered. And in the context of this passage, he's writing to a church. And he's telling us that within the church, there are going to be opportunities to be angered. Because here's the truth. If you haven't been let down, if you haven't been disappointed, if you haven't been angered in church, just give it time. Give it a few minutes. It may be me. It may be my mama. Uh, it may be uh, Mark or John up here. I don't know who it could be, but I guarantee you someone's going to let you down. There are going to be opportunities for this emotion to be expressed. And so as we saw just a couple of weeks ago, after Paul was telling this church at Ephesus that we shouldn't walk like the Gentiles, we shouldn't walk like people that are without Christ, he begins to explain what it looks like to walk differently. Do you remember what it was? We start by putting off certain things, we renew our mind, and then we put on other things. This renewing of the mind is where we uh, see truth that is imparted, and we see that truth sets us free. Um, this isn't like a spiritual, metaphorical, philosoph philosophical <laughs> thing that he's talking about here that lacks clarity. He closes out this chapter by giving five incredibly practical things that need to be put off, and something else needs to be put on, and there's a way that we renew our mind. Last week, we talked about what we were supposed to put off. Put off lying, put on speaking truth with our neighbors, and the, the truth that sets us free, the renewing of our mind, was that we are all members one of another, and we need one another, and lying undermines community, right? So today, we're going to move on to the next one. So let's look at verses 26 and 27, and if you haven't figured it out yet, let's see what we need to put off. Verses 26 and 27 says this. Be ye angry. Some of you are like, that's my life verse right there. Be ye angry. But notice there's not a period there. There's a comma there. And I'm, I'm not real good at English. I went to school in Tennessee. But I can understand that that means that's not the end of it, right? He says, be angry, but don't sin, right? Sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So, class according to this verse what is it that needs put off in the life of believers anger all right very good very simple uh, it is putting off anger 
in order to put off anger, we need to understand what it is. I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on this, so I'll just say it this way. Uh, anger is a strong feeling of displeasure that is aroused by a wrong. Um, the call here is not to put off all anger. He does start the verse by saying, be ye angry. There are certain things that should upset us. Can anyone think of an instance where Jesus was a little bit upset about something? Remember, it was in the temple. What did he do? He started flipping tables, right? The, the money changers were doing things they weren't supposed to be doing, and Jesus followed this verse. He was angry. He was upset about something. You see, anger is not inherently sinful. We should be angry whenever there is injustice. We should be angry when there's immorality or when you've been cheated or when you've been robbed or been treated unfairly. It's what we do with the anger that makes the difference. That's why it says, be angry and sin not. We can't allow the anger to lead us to further sin. One person said this, emotional control must be maintained as we express anger in spiritually appropriate ways. Usually when you're angry, you're not using that kind of verbiage. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. When you're angry, rah, you just kind of lose it all. But when we step back from this emotion, it, when, when we are walking with Jesus and he is making us new by the power of his spirit and the truth of his word, we can have emotional control and we can express anger in what is, what is considered spiritually appropriate ways. Jesus demonstrated this for us, not just in the temple, because he did flip over the tables because he was upset, uh, but he didn't allow that to lead him to more anger. Jesus demonstrated it by the way that he interacted uh, with people. W who were the people that Jesus gave the most harsh words to? Because he was angry with them. It was the spiritual people, right? It was the hypocrites. He just blasted them. But when you see Jesus talking with the, the, the prostitutes and the, the publicans and these people that were the down and outers, you don't see him blasting them. You see that he's angered with their sin because he knows the pain that it's causing them, but he does it, he treats them differently. His anger is measured and uh, it is uh, um, expressed in a, an appropriate way. We are to put off the wrong kinds of anger. Anger that leads to sin. Anger that takes over. Anger that begins to control us. What's interesting is as you read through this verse, he says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your, what's that next word? Wrath. Now in their language, wrath is the same word as angry, but there's a prefix that's attached to it. And the prefix literally means to bring something near. It means to bring something close. So he says, don't be angry and don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Or in other words, what he's saying is don't allow anger to abide close to you. Don't, uh, don't bring anger close and live with it like it's just something that we all deal with or I'm Irish, I was born this way or whatever it is. He's like, we, it needs to be dealt with. He says, don't do it. Don't let the sun go down upon that anger or that wrath. This would be being in a state where anger is always near, being easily agitated. I have so many illustrations <laughs> that I could share with you in regards to anger because I deal with this just like so many others do. Uh, but I'll give an illustration of a guy that I saw. I was um, in Morton over here, uh, the two uh, gas stations that are close to one another right over by the Walmart uh, in Morton. And this was, I don't know, probably about seven or eight years ago. 
And this guy caught my attention because he was in a smaller car, but he was a, he was a hoss. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about when I say he was a hoss. He's a big old boy. He was one of those guys, he was so big in a car that was so small that he had his hand on the wheel and his other hand was like wrapped around the seat next to him and it wasn't because he had his lady with him. He was by himself. He was driving like this, you know, and, and he was waiting to go and I don't remember exactly what happened, but a car went in front of him or went beside him and went behind him and I think he was keeping anger near. <laughs> he was keeping it close because this guy was laid back like this and he went he went nuts. Like, he was expressing emotion with one finger, and he was doing it almost at the very back. Like, he's doing this in the very back windshield, right? And he's, I can tell he's screaming. The whole car's going back and forth like this. And he's just, ah, you know, doing one of these crazy anger things. And then he just went right back to normal. Just like, like that was life. You know, and I was like, Jerry, you really shouldn't act like that in public, all right? But no, it wasn't Jerry, it was someone else. I don't know who it was. But w what I saw, though, is that here's a guy who's sitting in his car like everything's normal, and then one little thing just set him off. I would venture to say that this would be what wrath is. Wrath is when we just have stuff bottled up inside of us because we, we didn't let, or we, we let the sun go down on our wrath. We didn't deal with it. Rather than putting it away, we embraced anger. We kept it close. The call of this verse is to put it off. Don't let the sun go down on it. To learn to deal with it. As one person wisely said, build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> right? Um, don't stay angry all day. Don't nurse grudges. Don't feed resentment. Don't harbor bitterness or treat anger like it's harmless or just acceptable. One person said, being angry is human but staying angry is foolish. So, that's all I have to say about that. We should just go on home, right? Put off anger. How many of you guys think, yeah, that's, that sounds easy, <laughs> right? How many of you guys are like, I already know all that. Like, I know I'm not supposed to be the angry elf, right? I know I'm not supposed to be the guy that walks around with the chip on my shoulder and saying things I, I shouldn't say and, and acting in ways that I'll eventually regret. I know I shouldn't do that. It's a lot easier said than done, right? One of the beautiful things about this passage is that we see that being made new is not about modifying behavior. Being made new is not just deciding, I'm a Christian now, I'm not going to be angry anymore. Because then what's it all about? It's all about your willpower. It's all about your ability to work up the, the, the courage or the patience or whatever it is. But what we see here is that this is not simply a call to stop being mad. Paul follows up this command with a truth that sets us free. A truth that renews our mind. Because remember, we put it off, we renew our mind so that we can put on the right thing. So let's talk about the truth that we see here that renews our mind. Let's look at, don't go to the next slide yet. I don't want to see if you guys can figure it out. What truth is in these verses that can help us to understand why it's so important to put off anger. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Do you see the simple truth that's there that gives us some prodding, some, some nudging, some encouragement to put off anger? Because when we don't, what happens? It gives place to the devil. It gives place to the devil. When anger is not put off, it gives the enemy place. Uh, if you've ever seen a, 
a, a topographical map. How many of you guys have ever seen a topographical map? It's got all the weird lines and everything. It shows elevations and all that. Topographical, topos is the word that's used here for place. It literally means an inhabited place that's been marked off. It's like when you look at a map and there's Tremont, it's represented as a dot. That is a place where the people, the Tremontonians or the Tremontites or whatever you want to call them, that's where they are, you know. And the verse here is telling us that as a believer, we should not give place to the devil. Now, I brought a basketball up here with me because that's kind of the mode that I've been in for the last several months. And I was trying to think of who I could use as an illustration that I could push around a little. Levi, do you mind coming up and let me use you? He's, Levi's always up for public embarrassment, right? But, uh, <laughs> all right, so Levi is up here. Did you play basketball very much? Oh, in fifth grade. In fifth grade, all right. So he was super good. I'll move over here just a little bit so they can see you a little better, all right? And so we're gonna, I, need a, I need someone to pass. Can you pass the ball, Brad? Can you do that? Not from there. Come on up here, all right? And uh, just real simple, okay? You don't actually have to pass it. Just act like you're passing. You can actually stay right there. Can you catch it? All right. <laughs> all right. So we're going to pretend that Brad is on offense and I am on defense and uh, Levi is on offense as well. So he's trying to get him the ball. The basket's right here, okay? This is what they would call the post in basketball, right? They're trying to get the ball. Usually it's the opposite. Usually the tall guy is down here against the smaller guy because he has an advantage down low, right? So you want to get it as close to the basket as you can. And so you can see real easy if he wants to pass it right now, he's posting me up, right? Post me up. And now, here, there you go. And, uh, Go ahead, and you pass him the ball. Now, when I allow him to pass the ball, I told you you didn't have to, but I lied. There it is. <laughs> now what has taken place? It's kind of a play on words. I've given Levi place, right? I've given him tapas. I've given him an area in which he can work. You see what I'm saying? Go ahead and pass the ball back to him. What this verse is calling us to do is he's saying, don't give him place. What that looks like in basketball is the defender is doing this. Now, some defenders kind of do this, you know, and it's kind of weird. That's not how you do it. The way that you coach guys to do it is you three-quarter front of them. You put this foot in front of them. You put this hand in front of them. That's a hard pass, right? I know Brad's, like, amazing, right? He got nothing on LeBron, or LeBron got nothing on you. But he, this is going to be a hard pass for him to make. And so what we teach our, 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 our athletes is you don't allow this guy to get the ball because if you're in this position and you give it to him, go ahead and pass it to him, this puts you in, in, in a disadvantage because he's so much closer to the basket. He can make one move and be there. You see what I'm saying? And what this verse is telling us here, go ahead and pass it back to him, I want you to live your life in such a way so that you are defending and not allowing the enemy to get this kind of place. Now, we're not talking about basketball here, and we're not just talking about just spiritual warfare in general. What is this verse talking about here? It's talking specifically about one emotion. What is it? Anger. So he's telling us when it comes to this thing of anger, we don't just casually sit back and go, hey, it's just something I deal with, you know, and, you know, it's just something that, I, it's just the way I am, you know, or you don't understand what they did to me or whatever else it may be. No, I recognize that this is something that it, if, if I allow anger to come in, I am giving the enemy room to work in my life. Place to work. Thank you. That's all I got for you. All right, thank you. Give them a hand. Good work, man. Not bad for fifth grade talent, all right? So he tells us here not to give place to the enemy. There are very few things that give the enemy a tactical advantage in our lives like unresolved anger. 
Another passage of scripture actually talks about this place as an opportunity for the enemy to build what the Bible calls strongholds. You see, unresolved anger invades other areas of our lives, and we begin to see life through what one guy called angry lenses. We walk around just upset at everything. When we allow the enemy to get that kind of place, it bleeds over. You're like, I don't know if I don't know if that's true. Well, let's just step back for a second. How many of you guys have ever had a bad day at work? You came home, didn't say a word about work, but someone in your home was like, did you have a bad day? You ever had that happen? I've never had that happen. I'm sure you guys have. <laughs> the reason they're asking, did you have a bad day, is because the anger that you were experiencing back here at work has carried over into the way that you're interacting with others. Anger does a man more hurt than that which made him angry. Because as one person said, no man can think clearly when his fists are clenched. When we walk around just upset and angry, it's giving the enemy a place to work in other areas. As a matter of fact, in verse 27 where this word angry is used, it carries the idea of, of being instigated. Uh, it carries the idea of being provoked. As a matter of fact, the tense of the verb, like uh, we think of past, present, and future, the, the tense of this verb is passive. So what that means is it indicates that the subject is the recipient of the action. For example, if I were to say, we were comforted, comforted uh, would be used in a passive tense. That means me as the subject was receiving comfort. Does that make sense? So when he talks about being angry here, he's not saying stop getting worked up about things and getting angered and mad. He's saying there's someone out there that is instigating you, that is provoking you and trying to make you angry. But what happens a lot of times is we, we fall into that trap where Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But we, we think that we do. We think the issue is that jerk at work. You know, we think it's the crazy person that we live next to or the one that we're married to. You know, we push it off on them, but we have to recognize that anger is a tool of the enemy. The truth that sets us free from anger is that whatever it is that is agitating us to the point of anger is designed by the enemy to lead us into further sin. We see that this truth is um, it, it, it's called back to a little bit by the word that's used to describe the enemy. Notice it says, neither give place to the devil. The, the, the devil here, the, that word is translated in other passages of scripture as accuser and slanderer. Whatever the situation may be, when we are tempted to be angry, it becomes an issue of accusations or slander. It becomes an us versus them, right? Uh, it, it becomes the opportunity for, uh, for us to assume the worst about them and assume the best about us. And all the while, when the enemy is trying to provoke us to anger, we have to recognize what his goal is. His goal is to divide. And look back, what has this whole chapter been about? Being made new happens in community and the enemy tries to get us to believe that anger is just a normal part of life and you can go online and be a keyboard warrior and ticked off at everything and all you're doing is isolating yourselves and i don't know if you know anything about warfare but that's typically not a good thing to be isolated from everyone else you see this is the exact opposite of the entire chapter the chapter is calling for unity in the body growth through mutual submission and doing life in community anger is a tool of the enemy that is designed to stunt our spiritual growth 
and undermine our relationships. But here's the good news. The good news is that what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. When opportunities for anger arise, we can give place to the enemy by refusing to deal with anger and choosing to embrace it and just kind of see what happens, or we can give place to God. You see, when the enemy is given place, he does what he does. He do what he do, right? He's going to try to work up the, the works of the flesh in our life, and when, when we allow him to have that place, that's what we can expect, according to Galatians 5. But when you give God room to work, he do what he do too, right? God does what he does. He does a supernatural work. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense because if someone has done me wrong, then I should just be angry at them for as long as I want to be angry with them or until they make things right. But as one person said, what comes natural isn't supernatural. And what God tells us to do, when someone smites you on one cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other. When people curse you, what are you supposed to do? bless them. When people persecute you, what are you supposed to do? Bless them and curse them not. When your enemy is hungry, what are you supposed to do? Feed them. Like this is so counterintuitive. It makes no sense. But when you allow God to have place, he can begin to do a supernatural work. I love the way that Paul put it in Romans 12. He said this, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give. Huh, that's a an interesting word that's used there give place unto wrath for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord instead of giving place to the devil give that place to god and allow him to do what needs to be done in whatever the situation may be because here's the thing you can trust god he knows what he's doing right or we can take matters into our own hands Listen, anger is a valid emotion. It is what we do with it that makes the difference. We can either entertain it or we can take it to God by faith. Because anger is like fire. If you keep feeding it, it's only going to get stronger. But the same thing is true about faith. What does the Bible tell us to do with our faith? It tells us to exercise our faith. And the more that we exercise it, the more opportunity we have to see it increase, to see it grow. And I'm telling you that when we are faced with this emotion of anger, we have an opportunity to express faith in God and exercise faith and allow him to build us in it. Of course, this leads us to the last thought, and that is, what is it that needs to be put on? What needs to be put off? anger what truth renews our mind the enemy gets ground whenever we don't put off anger so what is it that we need to put on i wrestled with you know how to title the third point here because when you look at it you might think if i'm supposed to put off wrong anger then i'm supposed to put on right anger we might be able to argue about that and and, uh, and discern who's right or wrong here but i just want you to look at this verse again he says be angry and sin not. And then this is a, a proactive command that he's telling us. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In my opinion, I kind of feel like the, the, the admonition to put off is anger. And the admonition to put on is dealing with the anger. Not allowing the sun to, to set. In other words, not letting a night go by without dealing with it in some way i would contend that this could be called putting on emotional stability it means dealing with the situation at hand 
when Missy and I, my wife and I were about to get married, one of the things that people told us is don't fight. Be the first one to say that you're sorry, you know, and I kind of took that as a challenge. And so so uh, they would say, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And so we'd lay down at nighttime oftentimes in that first year or 15, and uh, I had done something stupid, and I would just say, babe, I'm sorry, because I'm not going to let the sun go down on my wrath, right? Because I felt like I was being real spiritual. And I felt like that, that should be the end of it. How many of you have been married for more than five minutes and know it doesn't work that way? <laughs> right? When he tells us to don't let the sun go down on your wrath, this is more than a decision to just say you're sorry or I forgive them. It's more than a decision to just stop being angry. It is a recognition of what caused the anger. You see, anger doesn't happen in a vacuum. While there is anger, there is pain underneath that anger. C.S. Lewis made a powerful statement. He said, I sat, with uh, I sat with anger long enough until she told me her real name was grief. It's a powerful thought when we step back and realize that we're not just angry for the sake of being angry. There's a need that hasn't been fulfilled. There's, a, there, there, there's, there's an emotion that's being struck up in the heart of, our, of ourselves that is, is allowing us to feel this emotion of anger. My wife loves to say that emotions are indicators, not dictators. It, it, just because you're angry doesn't mean you need to live your life being angry. When you're angry, you, re, you stop, you step back, you want to deal with that emotion and say, what is it inside of me that's making me so angry? It, it, anger is just an indication that there's something deeper that's taking place. You see, to not let the sun go down on your wrath is to deal with anger by getting to the heart of why you're angry. It's not dealing with the problem, excuse me, it's not dealing with the emotion, it's dealing with the issue. It's not dealing with the problem, it, or excuse me, not dealing with the person, it's dealing with what the real problem is asking prayerfully am i upset because there's a need that's not being fulfilled am i not feeling loved accepted or secure am i angry because there's something that brings me fear am i angry because there's another frustration or maybe i've been reminded of a previous hurt or a previous pain or maybe there was an expectation that was just unmet and that led to anger i wish i would have learned this a lot earlier in life because so much of our conflict resolution was just nothing more than declaring, I'm sorry, but you ought to. I'm sorry, but you should. You see, we're trying to talk about what's going on, instead of trying to talk about what's going on, on the inside that causes the pain. One of the arguments that Missy and I used to fight about was um, why I didn't put gas in her car. Anybody's wife love it when you fill up their, their tank? That's active service for those of you that are into the whole love languages thing. But she would be so upset, and she's like, why don't you put gas in my car? It's like, I wasn't driving your car. If I was driving it, I would put gas in it. You know? There's, you know, do you not know how to work a gas nozzle? <laughs> Sorry, that was too far. The ladies are like, seriously? Um, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal, and I don't know how long we argued about this for until one day, she, instead of dealing with the problem, she dealt with the, the, the issue here. Instead of dealing with the person, she dealt with the, the real problem. She said, Josh, it really upsets me when you don't put gas in my gas tank because it makes me feel like you just don't care. It makes me feel like you don't love me. And you can step back and go, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Oh, you're going to tell somebody how they're supposed to feel. You can't argue with emotions. You can't argue with those kinds of feelings. 
You see, when we step back and we begin to not let the sun go down upon our wrath, we begin to wrestle with what is it that's at the heart of this? This is prayerful introspection. It's going to God and saying, Lord, I'm really worked up about this. What is it that's making me so upset? Not only is it going to God in prayer and asking for clarity as you read his word and as his spirit works through different circumstances, but what's the context of Ephesians 4? Does anyone remember? Being made new in community. So here's a novel idea. When you're really ticked off about something, why not get with someone with which you are doing community and saying, hey, I'm really worked up. Can you help me get to the heart of this? Can you help me dig down and find out what it is that's spurring this thing up within my heart? You see, resolving anger starts with clearly identifying your feelings. And for some of us, that's just a road we don't want to go down. (laughs) Some of you guys are like, I'm a man. I don't have feelings. Anyone like that? (laughs) Don't raise your hand too quick, right? I feel like that for a long time. I'm a man. I don't cry. I don't have feelings, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And what that leads to is for a lot of us, it's just easier to be angry than talk about the fact that we're truly hurting. But when we do, When we do move beyond that, it feels a lot more like an attempt at a resolution instead of an attempt at an attack. It leads to finding solutions rather than assigning blame. In conclusion, I hate to admit it, but back in October, uh, and I, I, I will leave out a lot of the details. I wish I could just tell you all the details, but some of you might know the person that's involved. Um, they don't go to church here, but, um, back in October, I was, uh, I had a phone conversation with someone that I love, uh, that after the phone conversation was over, I looked a lot more like Kelsey than, than I looked like Christ. I was pretty upset. Um, I was told something and it made me very angry. Um, I had what could be described as a strong feeling of displeasure aroused by a wrong, as we defined anger earlier. And it was the first time I was in my truck, I was on the phone, and it was the first time that, in a long time, I don't even remember ever doing this before, but I'm sure I did at some point, but I screamed, not like I raised my voice, because I've raised my voice, my kids would be like, stop, you're screaming, I'm not screaming, I just raised my voice, settle down, Sally, all right, but um, like, I screamed at this person, and I told them how wrong they were, and how bad it hurt. At the end of the conversation, I ended up hanging up on them. Anybody ever have a conversation like that before, whether on the phone or in person? And I'm thankful that God had been preparing me. I don't know if it was for that or for something else, but over the last year, year and a half or so, God's Uh, surrounded me with people that have really helped me to understand a little bit more of what's going on under the surface rather than just dealing with what is seen on the surface. I'm glad that God has given me a godly wife. He's given me wise friends and wise counselors, godly friends and godly counselors. And I was able to talk to my wife about that situation. I was able to talk to my friends that love me and love Jesus about that situation. I was able to talk to a wise counselor about this situation. And I'm glad that they helped me identify, first of all, that what happened in that moment was a serious potential for further problems. They identified that there is serious potential for spiritual attack if this is not handled properly. As one person said, anger is only one letter away from danger, right? So 
they helped me identify that there was potential for spiritual attack because we don't want to give place to the devil. But then they helped me identify the feelings and pain that were behind the outburst. It wasn't just what was said in that moment. It was the things that led up to it. And we began to process those and to talk about those. And I was trying not to let the, the sun go down on my wrath. I didn't want to hang on to it. I wanted to get to the heart of it. I wish that I could tell you that that relationship has been restored. It hasn't. I've tried to reach out in an attempt to reconcile. I've given the situation to the Lord as Romans 12 has told us to. I've determined that the enemy is not going to gain any ground in that area because I've put that into God's hands. I put off anger. I tried to renew my mind. And I tried to put on emotional stability by having difficult conversations to get to the heart of the issue. This is what it looks like to be made new in community, to deal with anger in God's way, to say, I can't just stand in this place where I'm just a... And, an angry elf. How many of you guys remember that part from, he's an angry elf, right? How many of you guys know Christians like that? Like legit, how many, how many of you, but just by a show of hands, how many of you guys know a Christian that is an angry elf? That's what's supposed to be put off. Don't give place unto wrath. Why does it need to be put off? Because when you don't, man, it gives the enemy a ton of room to work. And look, if you look at the people that are struggling the most in life, if you were to dig down, they don't have a substance abuse problem. They have an anger problem that they never dealt with. There was a hurt or a pain that they never dealt with properly, and it gave the enemy space to work, and now he is wreaking havoc in their lives. May God help us to deal with anger in God's way. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.